0: Let's uh, bow together. Father, we do come before you and we praise you for who you are. You are wonderful and you are gracious and you are kind and loving. And you sent your wonderful son Jesus Christ to die for us. Lord, I pray we would continue to bow down before you in our hearts as we come to your word that our hearts would be receptive. I pray for your people here this morning that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up, that we would be blessed uh, by your word through the power of your spirit. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you have truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, uh, you probably already have recognized that as we follow Jesus Christ, there there are sufferings that we suffer at times. We suffer, uh, but there are also, as we see in Scripture, the glories to follow. Now, although we understand this reality, we understand the truth that this is temporal, that our suffering in this life is temporal, that, that we will ultimately be glorified with the Lord. We understand that. Yet when it comes down to the day-in and day-out experiences Day after day of the temptations, the trials, the struggles, the failures, whatever it might be, we can become discouraged. Because if you come to Jesus Christ, you want to be holy. We read, we heard that song earlier, take time to be holy. You want to be holy and you realize that you don't make it. We realize that we fail. And we look forward to that day when we'll be glorified and we'll fail no more. But yet we're in this day right now where we do fail. And so within that There are times where we need to be encouraged in the midst of the struggle. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is going to do today as we look in Philippians chapter 1. Would you turn your Bibles with me? We're going to be continuing our study of the book of Philippians. And I believe we're going to see encouragement for the struggle. As within that, we're going to see that God will complete the good work that he has begun in us. Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 8. Now, just a reminder of the context of the book of Philippians. Uh, Verse 1 reveals the Apostle Paul is the author writing this letter to believers uh, in Philippi, as we saw before, saints, uh, those who've been set apart through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is writing this while imprisoned. And this is one of his uh, prison epistles, as we see. Uh, of Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, most likely written sometime around 62 A.D. The Apostle Paul at this time, Acts 28, reveals that he was under house arrest uh, for two years in Rome. And he was chained, as we'll see today and later on as we look through this book, to a Roman guard 24-7. Now, the interesting and wonderful part is the beginning of this church. We saw this back in our look in the book of Acts two weeks ago as we began our study. And then last week as we began looking in the text specifically in chapter 1, that the Apostle Paul was led by the Lord to Philippi. And he went down to the river with Silas and Luke, and they saw some ladies praying there. And he shared the word of God, and Lydia and her household came to faith. And we know that there was a demon-possessed girl who was making much profit for her masters who was following them around as they would go there, saying, these men are proclaiming the, the way of salvation. And Paul, being greatly annoyed, uh, cast out that demon. And her, her, her masters, seeing that their prophet would be gone now, it's very interesting, by the way, demonic prophet, would be gone now, uh, they had Paul and Silas, who were Jews, thrown into jail. Now, within that jail time, they had been beaten before that and thrown into jail. And around midnight, they were singing hymns and praising God and, and uh, praying unto Him. And the, the prisoners were listening. And God had a great earthquake, which brought about the opening of the doors and the unshackling of the chains. And the guard, the prison guard, uh, uh, came quickly to see ultimately what had happened. And he uh, thought that everyone had escaped, so he was going to kill himself. And the Apostle Paul said, hey, we're all here, we're all here, don't do that. And having been convicted, obviously having heard the prayers and the word spoken and the hymns, he said, what, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then it says they shared the word with them. And we know that the Philippian jailer and his household came to faith and thus we have the nucleus of the Philippian church. Now, the Apostle Paul was very close to them, and we see that, and we're going to see that today. We're going to see that today. And, uh, they were not only, he was not, not only close to them, but they were close to him. Now, along with that, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, uh, had been supported by them. We see it later on in chapter 4, we see it mentioned in 2 Corinthians, uh, Uh, Chapter 11. The Apostle Paul had been supported by uh, this church. They loved him greatly, and they had given their offering, in a sense, to the Lord to support the Apostle Paul. We'll see that in chapter 4. Paul was very close to them. They cared very dearly for him. Now, the time of this writing is sometime around 62, maybe early 63 A.D. And I think in the book here, we have a few reasons why the Apostle Paul brought forth this letter. First of all, in chapter four, we see his desire to thank them and praise God for their gracious gifts. And then certainly we also see in chapter four, there was a disagreement between some women, Lydia and Syndicate, of such magnitude the apostle Paul, uh, is calling for people to come alongside these two women who shared, uh, in the struggle of the gospel. And then in chapter three, he certainly wanted to remind them again, he considered it right, uh, concerning those, uh, who would, false teachers who would come in and, and uh, and twist and pervert the word of god and then in chapter two they certainly we saw where we'll see actually there were threats to unity and he also wanted to share with them the the status of epaphroditus how he's doing and within this we see this is an encouraging letter it's an encouraging letter it's a letter that should cause us to rightly obey the commands to rejoice in the lord and again i say rejoice Now, this letter is ultimately about Christ. As I've shared before, he is directly mentioned no less than 37 times, indirectly more than that. The letter is about the Lord Jesus Christ and being in Christ, being in Christ. You see, in chapter 1, to live is Christ. He is our life, if you're a true believer, to die is gain. In chapter 2, he's the perfect example for us of obedient humility who took on human flesh and died for us, being obedient to the point of death. And he is the Lord of all in whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In chapter 3, he is our focus, what we focus on now. We used to focus on those worldly things which are worthless. And now in Christ we've gained everything, and Christ is everything. And we press forward to the goal of becoming like him and in chapter four we're supposed to stand firm and we should stand firm in him we are to allow his peace to guard our hearts and minds as we focus on him and his truth recognizing we can do all things through christ who strengthens us and lastly he is the one through whom god will supply all our needs it's about christ and we need to be encouraged because again in this life we are tempted to be discouraged if you're a true believer you're going to be tempted when you fail you're going to be tempted when we see so much sin around us and within us right All Right. so this letter is about christ now last week we saw in the beginning of his introduction uh, the tremendous reality uh, and we were reminded of our great privilege to serve the lord as the apostle paul and silas mentioned they are bond servants of christ jesus so too are we we see in scripture Bondservants servants of the lord We are now slaves to a good master. Uh, Your master makes all the difference. If you're a slave to a bad master, that's no good, right? We're slaves to a good master who gave himself for us. A gracious, wonderful God. His name is wonderful, right? We sang that. Hopefully, you were singing that in your heart, too, along with your lips. And then we saw we have been set apart. We have a great position in Christ. We are saints. As Paul would tell the Colossians, or Corinthians, saints by calling. God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are holy because of Jesus Christ. Tremendous reality. And then lastly, the desire of God is that we receive and walk in the context of his grace and experience his peace. Grace to you and peace. And that brings us to this beginning of this prayer. We're not going to look at all the prayer. We're going to see the rest of it next week, but we're going to see a portion of it today. And hopefully we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul's heart towards these uh, towards these uh, Philippians, uh, where our hearts should be towards the Lord and towards one another. Again, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, and let's read together here. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you all, or have you in my heart. Since both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation to the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to share a request. So we're going to see today two things. First of all, that the Apostle Paul encourages the Philippians and will encourage us by revealing his continual thankfulness for God's work in them as evidence that they were sharers in that gospel work. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, as I mentioned before, you might, by reading this letter, think that everything was just going, well, I didn't mention this before, but I'll mention it now, that everything was going fine in Philippi. That maybe the only issues they had was a little spat between two women, Judea and Syndicate. But actually the Philippians, as with true believers, were suffering also for the gospel. Look down in verse 29 of chapter 1. Verse 29 of chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Hey, Philippians, you're experiencing the same persecution that you saw me experience. Now, the Philippians had a great privilege living in Philippi. They were automatically Roman citizens. They had a great privilege in Philippi. And certainly, certainly within that, there were dangers to to following Christ in the midst of being a, a Roman in that sense. And they were experiencing conflict like the Apostle Paul had experienced. There was conflict. They were sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Now within that, we can become discouraged at times. So Paul is going to encourage them. He's going to share how thankful to the Lord he is for them. Look at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. He is brought to continual thankfulness to his God. It's a personal relationship, by the way. I thank my God in all my remembrance. When I think of you, I'm thankful. When I think of you, I'm thankful to the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? There should be believers in our lives where we think about them. we just become thankful to the Lord, right? We're thankful because of, as we'll see, what God is doing in their lives. He says here, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now we know the Apostle Paul was in chains right now. He was in chains. And he says, I thank my God. When I I think of you, I thank my God for you. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful thought. The very thought of this church brings Paul before God in thankfulness. And by the way, prayer is the sphere in which genuine thankfulness is manifest. He thanks God, my God in all my remembrance of you. Thankful. Now we know Paul had an ongoing heart of prayer and thankfulness. I was going to read some of these verses, but you can read them on your own. You just go to the beginning of Romans, the beginning of 1 Corinthians, beginning of Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, uh, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy. He continues to thank God for his work in true believers in those churches. He thanks God for, for the real work that's going on in their lives Paul had no heart no room in his heart for complaining he certainly had a lot of reason to complain but he didn't later on we're gonna see inspired by the spirit do all things without complaining and grumbling in light of who Christ is and what he has done for you and what he will do we have nothing to complain about and so his very remembrance brings him to thank God and notice he talks about his prayer and it's interesting there are different words in greek for prayer U.K. is the one's used mostly speaking of prayer but this is a different word which is used synonymously and also differently at times that's used twice in verse 4 it actually speaks of petition it's usually translated petition It speaks of a request to the Lord in the context of prayer, making a request of a petitioning the Lord God, A, a supplication. He says here, always offering petitions in a sense here with joy in my every petition for you speaks of a request, a plea an entreaty. So, the Apostle Paul is praying for them, but he's praying specifically for them, specific things that we're going to see later on, some of what he does pray for them. What he does pray for them for, for real knowledge and discernment in the context of following Jesus Christ, that they walk rightly, right? He makes these prayers. So, when he's brought to think of them, he then prays for them, makes his petitions for them. There's a thankfulness, but there's also an ongoing petition petition to the lord do do the lives of true believers around you who are following christ uh cause you to thank god and then cause you to pray for him cause you to pray for him i pray that's the case and i hope we learn from that we need to pray for one another as we're going to see we need to pray and so let me ask you this what is your prayer life like what things bring you to pray Now, certainly we have things that happen to us, and naturally those bring us to pray right away. Bad things, difficulties, that's a a given, right? Even uh, non-believers go to God at times in times of bad things, though God doesn't hear them because of their sin, but they go to when things are bad, we generally go and pray, right? But besides that, what brings you to pray? What brings you to pray? Well, here we see that it is the work of God, as we're going to see in the lives of, of true believers, turn to um, Ephesians chapter six for a minute and listen to what the apostle Paul says concerning prayer. Ephesians six, eighteen. And this is in the on the heels of of standing firm in the Lord and the strength of His might, putting on the full armor of God that we would stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians chapter six, verse eighteen. With all prayer, that's that's cave, just prayer uh, and petition. That's our word that we had from our passage. Pray, pray at all, and petition. Pray at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition. That's our word for all the saints. Pray, pray, pray. Be on the alert. Pray for your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and pray he says on my behalf he asked for prayer requests apostle paul's prayer request on behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it i may speak boldly as i ought to speak this this apostle paul still recognized he needed The lord to enable him even in the context of prayer i mean everything we do that god commands us to do we should be submitting ourselves in the context of prayer lord god help me do this help me do this it shows humility and trust in the lord so then paul is thankful and makes entreaties to god on behalf of the philippians when they come to remembrance and again do we pray for one another that way we need to we should we should learn from this should learn from this now notice as we look at this passage here there's something else it's, there's a context in which this brings about in this prayer i thank my god back in chapter one verse three in all my remembrance of you always offering petitions or prayer with joy with joy boy sometimes we can offer a lot of prayers but there's not much joy there right there's not much joy we're praying 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 but there's no joy right no joy in every prayer for you all this little phrase with joy with joy you could actually translate this sentence here always in every prayer of mine on behalf of you all with joy continually making the supplication continually making the petition with joy continually praying with joy continually praying so how could paul be so joyful in prison in the in the terrible chains and circumstances that he is in well we know from scripture that biblical joy is 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 not happiness uh like the world would say although there's some relationship there but it's not completely happiness is the is what the world experiences when things go right and when things go bad happiness is gone those who don't know christ can be very happy at times and also likewise very sad But joy is different for the believer. We're going to see in this book that this book should cause us to desire to obey the command, Rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, right? Because we have so much to rejoice in. And we need to renew our minds because there's so much to distract us from being joyful. Now, what is biblical joy? I want to share some verses here. Let's go to Psalm chapter... 16. Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, we think in thy presence is fullness of joy, right? Like presence, we want stuff, right? (laughs) But the reality is it's his presence, right? You know, we've gone that route, we've all learned that the stuff doesn't doesn't supply our, our joy, it doesn't bring forth that joy, it brings forth happiness at times, but it's it's fleeting, right? But in thy presence is fullness of joy. Thy right hand are our pleasures forevermore. When Nehemiah was encouraging the Israelites, he said, Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Back a little earlier in Psalm five, verse eleven. The psalmist says, "But let all who take refuge in Thee be glad." You got to renew your mind. If you are taking refuge from sin, trouble, sorrows, difficulty, you're taking your refuge in Jesus. He says, "Let them be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. And mayest Thou shelter them. Those who love Thy name may exalt. makes that those who love Thy name may exalt Thee." For it is thou dost bless the righteous man, O Lord, and thou dost surround him with favor as a shield. As a shield. Well, we know the reality is that the forgiveness of sins brings forth joy. The forgiveness of sins. Turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. David writes, How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in, to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Whose spirit there is no deceit. And then look down at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord. Loving kindness shall surround him. God's loyal covenant faithful love. Surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Thus verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. It has to do with what God is doing and has done for you, as we will see in Christ. In Psalm 43, the psalmist writes to God, my exceeding joy, my exceeding joy. Psalm 71:23, my lips shall shout for joy when I sing praises to thee. I mean, that's why we should have a joyful heart when we're singing together. I'm not talking about being out of control and going wacky, but I'm not talking about being here, to be you know, I mean, there's a sense in which we should be like, praise the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Should be a joy in your heart as we are singing his praises. Psalm 95 verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Joy is summed up in the person of Christ and what He has done for us. And when we walk apart from Him or away from Him, joy is lost. Joy is lost. When David had confessed his sin in Psalm 51, he said, Restore to me the joy of my salvation or thy salvation. Restore it. I lost it because of my sin. Your hand was heavy on me, right? But he admitted his sin. Restore the joy of being your child forgiven through Jesus Christ. You see, joy is connected to the reality of our relationship with Jesus. And if our relationship with Jesus is strained with sin, we don't have joy. I'm not saying we can't have sorrow too, you know, we do. I'm not telling you that someone who is saddened over events that we see in life. The Lord Jesus wept, yes? He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yes, we do have that. But within that, we also have joy. We have joy in what God has done for us in Christ. And indeed, Galatians 5, joy is a fruit of a walk with him. It is a fruit of the Spirit. As we rely on Jesus, trusting in him, focusing on him, he gives us joy. And then when we see what he's doing in the lives of his people, it causes us to rejoice. To rejoice. Well, have you lost your joy? Has sin caused you to lose sight of Jesus and what he's done for you? Are you shriveling up under the weight of your sin? so wonderful that you can just confess just come clean come clean no excuses no nothing lord god i'm a i sinned. it's wrong forgive me and he'll forgive you he'll forgive you and he will restore the joy of your salvation So with that in mind, we see joy has its roots in a deep thankfulness for what God has done, is doing, and will do in Jesus Christ. It has its roots in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Paul says back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer or supplication for you all. Now we know joy is bound up specifically in, in Christ, but here Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul is going to reveal some some reasons of what God has done that does cause him to experience joy. Notice what he says in verse 5, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. You could translate it because of your participation i thank my god and my remembrance of you always making my prayers with joy because because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now you see what believers do in relationship to other believers do it does affect us right it does affect us you know when your brothers and sisters are following christ around you it's a blessing when they're not it's not a blessing right for elders, they're supposed to watch over your souls, and you're supposed to submit and obey. And and with otherwise, you're going to grieve your elders, right? When people don't obey the Lord God and His Word, when we sin, it's a grief to those around us. But when people are confessing sin and following the Lord, it is a blessing. When they're manifesting the genuine characteristics of a real relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a blessing. He says. In view or because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. The good news that God took on human flesh. That he lived the perfect life. That he died for our sins. We're sinners. And that he rose from the dead on the third day. It's the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul was all about the gospel. Remember, he was uh, sent by the Lord to preach the gospel in Philippi. And he did. And Lydia and her household and the Philippian jailer and her household came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now he says, I get joy in my prayers for you as I think of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Isn't that wonderful when you think of true believers and what God has done in their lives and is doing in their lives, it brings joy to your heart. And it makes you want to pray for them, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Now this term participation means to share. It's a, it's a, it's a familiar word, koinonia. It means to share. It's where we get our idea of participating, partaking, or fellowshipping. Having something in common. In view of your common sharing in the gospel from the first day until Now. So what's he speaking of? Is he speaking of the reality that they're saved? They certainly are saved, and that brings joy. And they're certainly continuing to be saved from the first day until now. That's true, right? But is that what he's saying? I don't think he's saying that here because this participation seems to point to something that happened on the first day that they participated in and continue to participate in until this this day. Certainly it could speak of common salvation, but... Notice what he says in viewer, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. It's an ongoing participation in the gospel. Well, many, uh, so what's he saying here? Many expositors agree that Paul is speaking of their care and financial aid of him in the ministry, their prayers, their care for him, the how they participated in their gospel calling, in a sense, supporting it. From day one. And I think the context in this book will, will reveal that's what he's talking about. They shared in the furtherance of the gospel from the first day. Well, why, why, why is Paul thankful? Remember chapter, uh, in chapter 16 of Acts, when Lydia came to faith? Turn there. Turn there. Chapter 16. You know, if someone truly comes to faith, they're going to be changed. They're going to want to support, in a sense, and love true believers around them. They're going to want the gospel to go out. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira was a seller of purple purple fabrics. A worshipper of God and was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, wow, that's pretty pretty bold. It's only been a couple days, maybe weeks, whatever. If you judge me to be faithful, a true believer. Following the Lord, come into my house and stay. Actually, as initially, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, as initially. She was gracious in sharing in the ministry by letting them stay there. And then looked at a little farther in uh, verse 30 concerning the Philippian jailer. And this is after Paul and Silas had been set free in the prisoners and the jailer was going to kill himself. And he brought them out and he said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, and he what? He washed their wounds and immediately was baptized, and all, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house, and he set food before them, and they greatly rejoiced, having believed in God with his whole household. Now, he's going to say later on, they're participants of the grace of God, and I think it's talking of salvation. We're going to see that. But here, they participated In the gospel, from the first day until now. In view of how you have loved me, in that sense, the gospel. And then look at, he says, up to this point. Up to this point, until now. Up to this point. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to the church later on concerning this difficulty between two women. Look in chapter 4, verse 3. Indeed, true comrade, Philippians 4.3, I ask you also to help these women, and guess what? Who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These ladies who are bickering, come alongside them. They've shared in my struggle of the gospel. The ministry of the gospel. The ministry of getting the truth out of God's word. And then look a little farther on in chapter 4 verse 13. We see much of what Paul writes in this portion. is Thankfulness to God for their sharing with him in the midst of the ministry. 413. I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. To, to participate, to to koinonia, to co-participate with me in my affliction, to participate. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You did it from the beginning. No one else did, but you did. You did. And he said here, in the matter of receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for, for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And it's thought by most who study this that that's what he's speaking of and I believe it's the same thing. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, I get joy. And it makes me pray for you in the context of joy. It makes me pray for you. We see that the furtherance of the gospel is not merely just the preaching. You know, there are those to call to bring forth the word of God but there is those who support it in the midst of the context here, and we see the church supporting him. And Paul praises God for the work through these Philippians later on, and I believe here. They participated in housing, serving, and giving of their finances. We see even in uh, Second Corinthians that the Macedonians, that's where Philippi is, they were poor. They were poor, and they had given out of their abundance uh, for the Jews who were in need. And they had taken care of Paul, and he was amply supplied amply supplied i thank my god in remembrance of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view or because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now folks sometimes it seems what you are doing for christ is insignificant sometimes we can get our eyes pulled off on our struggles We think what God has us doing is insignificant. I'm not preaching the gospel. I'm not preaching from the pulpit. I'm not doing these things. If God is having you support the work of the ministry, which you should be, in some way, shape, or form, through serving, giving, whatever it is, you're participating in it. You're participating in it. So if that's the case, if you are participating in the work of the gospel, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Now, If someone was to think about your life, would they see you as participating? Would they be brought joy? I think of this person, and it brings me joy for how they are part of the ministry of the word going out. Would someone say that about you? Would someone say that about you? Are you faithfully serving Christ? If you are, be encouraged. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 turn there for a second The Philippian church was supporting the apostle Paul graciously and had done so from day 1 till now They cared for him they sent a patrodias we're going to see the guy almost died he almost died bringing a gift for Paul They cared about him 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 56 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We have victory over sin and death. And because of that, notice what he says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always doing your own thing every day. Right? (laughs) No. Always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the lord your toil is not in vain it's not in vain are you serving christ with your life your money whatever it might be serving him with everything you have wholeheartedly be encouraged your toil is not in vain so then i believe paul first of all encourages these philippians by revealing his continual thankfulness for God's work in them because they are co-sharers, are participants in the gospel work. And if you are serving and and giving in that context with a right heart as God leads you, you are a co-participant in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's thankful. And I believe they 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 were encouraged, and I believe we should be encouraged if that's our case. Well, notice secondly he also reveals a tremendous reality concerning his absolute confidence about the future not only are they are they a blessing to him from the first day until now the future is bright as we're going to see gloriously bright because god will complete the work he began in them because they are co-sharers of the grace of god and that gets into the reality of god's grace i thank my god and all my remembrance of you offering Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from this, from this first day until now. For I am confident, and by the way, just a note there, you know, when someone says they're saved and there's no fruit, it doesn't cause you to thank God for them, right? When you see that fruit, you're thankful. And Paul did. And notice he says here, For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here we come to a very familiar and and oft quoted verse, often quoted verse. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, before we look at this portion here, we need to see its relationship to what was just spoken of. Now, in this version, we have a four, which speaks of an explanation. But in the original language, this, this phrase, for I am confident, is really one participle. What does that mean? Some versions translate it this way, and I actually think the New King James does a good job, and also the NIV, which is not always the best. The NESB probably missed it here in a sense. You could translate this literally in verse 6, having been confident, and it's a perfect tense, in the past, and I still am confident. Having been absolutely confident in the past, done deal, I still am confident. I still am confident. So you start a, a sentence with having something, right? Or, or running or whatever it might be. It's connected to what was spoken earlier. What was spoken earlier. So here he says, basically, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you having been fully confident in the past and still confident today of this very thing. Confident of this very thing. The term confident means being convinced, fully convinced, absolutely sure. Absolutely sure. Well, what is Paul absolutely sure of? What was he sure of in that perfect tense in Greek? Completed action in the past with results continuing in the present. What was he perfectly sure of in the past that still he is perfectly sure of? That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What a wonderful statement. That we need to be reminded of and they needed it and we need it or it wouldn't be written here let's take a look at this wonderful statement and make some observations first of all notice it is god who began the good work he who began a good work in you the work of salvation is not on the outside it is on the inside Our souls are saved first, we are redeemed, and later on our bodies will be glorified. He who began, it's not done. God is not done yet. He who began a good work. We know how he began that work. We looked at it in Acts chapter 16. The gospel went out, they heard the gospel, they heard the word of God, and they responded and believed in Jesus Christ. That's when the work began. You see, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the gospel is God's work alone. It's not man's work. There's nothing you can do to be saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know from the book of Titus that it is God who saves us. He who began a good work he who began a good work in you salvation is a good work it is supremely good from a supremely good God to take wretched sinners destined for hell deserving of His wrath, which God has to pour out because He's just. And then God sent His only Son in place to die for us. And when you trust in Him, you are delivered from darkness into His marvelous light. You are forgiven your sins and you receive eternal life. It's a good work. It's a good work. But it's only begun. It's only begun. And we need to be encouraged because we live in this duality of the dead man, the old flesh, and the redeemed man, right, on the inside, man or woman. It's done in you, the good work in you. Has God begun a good work in you? It can happen today. The good work can begin today. And it has a glorious end, a glorious end. But notice, not only is the beginning of salvation supremely important, the beginning of salvation leads to its ultimate, absolute completion. The good work that God has began in you, God will complete. For I am confident of this very thing, or literally, having been and still confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's going to perfect it or complete it. The term perfect speaks of completing successfully, bringing to an end, finishing, finishing. These incredible, encouraging words because we can be discouraged when we fail. Very discouraged. The Apostle Paul summed up the reality of the battle with his flesh, which he couldn't overcome on his own. He needed someone to set him free. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said, I do the things I I, I don't want to do. We know that, right? We want to be holy. We want to do the right thing, but we fail. We do the things we don't want to do. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? You see, Jesus Christ set us free. And then Romans 8 after Romans 7 is a discourse on glory. First of all, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then the wonderful reality of what is going to happen if indeed we are truly saved, thus suffering with him. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You see, we've been saved in Jesus Christ. The work has begun, but it's not complete yet. It's not complete. It's not complete. And he's going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. I I could read the whole chapter, but let me just read part of it. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. I believe he does that through the Word of God, by the way. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God or God's heirs, right? Literally say it that way. And fellow or joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation, the anxious longing of creation, eagerly, waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruit to the Spirit, even with we ourselves groan within ourselves, don't we, right? Waiting eagerly for the adoption, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, right? For in hope we have been saved But hope that is seen is not hope. For what does one also hope for what he sees? For why does one hope for, for why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Our bodies have not been redeemed. We are still in these sinful, corrupted, dying bodies. But God's going to complete the work. We're going to be, as we're going to see, glorified. He's referring to the work that God began in the Philippians, and he says he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. What's this day of Christ Jesus? What is he speaking of here? Some say it's the day of the Lord, and, and I, I would, and many others would say it's probably not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is God's eschatological judgment upon sinners in which he purges and saves Israel. It's about judgment. It's about judgment. But this day of Christ Jesus specifically seems to relate to the completion of the salvation in the body of Christ. This day of Christ Jesus seems to relate to the finishing of the job. The finishing of the job. Folks, we see in scripture that when Christ comes for his bride, the church, when the body of Christ is taken to be with the Lord in the air, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at this point the body of Christ is given resurrection bodies and salvation is complete. When Jesus Christ comes for us, if we're still alive, or if he brings our souls with him, if we've been, if we've perished, then we're gonna be glorified that day. And the day christ jesus tremendous wonderful realities we see in first thessalonians chapter four that we should comfort one another with these words for what christ is going to do you can read that first corinthians chapter 15 turn there the lord is going to finish the work what we struggle with will be no more it'll be gone it'll be gone To be changed. First Corinthians 15:51 Behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep that speaks of physical death but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of the eye the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead in Christ will ra- be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable which means corrupted uh, destined for death in a sense mortal Shall, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, that's the day of Christ Jesus, I believe, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, we see the same truth. Our citizenship is not on this earth, although we have earthly citizenship. Our true citizenship is in heaven. Where we eagerly await for something. We're awaiting this. We're awaiting the completion that God has promised. First Corinthians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter three, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which Also, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the completing of the work, by the way, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, with the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. The work of salvation glorifying us, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more tears, Will happen. Will happen. He's begun it. It's a good work. Now we're in the process right now of sanctification where he is teaching and training us to be more like his son. He is setting us apart from sin. He is he is making us more like his son Jesus. But there will be the day when he absolutely completes it. Completes it. What a wonderful truth. He will complete the work that he began. Now, unfortunately, some people have used this verse to encourage people to continue on in sin because he'll complete the work, no big deal. But that's not the heart of uh, the Apostle Paul inspired by the Spirit. Yes, he's going to complete it in true believers' lives. But that should motivate us to glory and to be more like Christ now, not to take his grace, take advantage of his grace. May we never do that. Romans chapter 6 what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be. Never have that attitude. You see, we should be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And the fact that he will complete the work is a motivation to continue that process now. And there are eternal consequences for what we do in this life. There are. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 5. So yes, he will complete the work, we'll be glorified, but there is something glorious about the process of getting there. We have the privilege to serve him now and to, to bring forth eternal things that will honor and glorify him forever and bless us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we have also our ambition, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, home is in our bodies or absent, that's with the Lord, to be pleasing to him. For, here's why we need to be pleasing and have that desire, because something's going to happen. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed or rewarded for his deeds in the body. That's now... According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is is trying to address the the pride of the Corinthians. Basically, his main point will be that, uh, you know, we're nothing. And you think we are, but we're not? You even think you're elevating people in ministry? I'm of this person, I'm of that person? No, 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 no. First Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wide master builder, I laid a foundation, another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus Now, if anyone builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, 1 Corinthians um, 3.13, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire. And the the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it, that's the foundation of Jesus Christ, by the way, remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. My point is, getting back to our passage, Paul is absolutely confident that he's going to complete that work. He's going to complete that work. And brothers and sisters, if you're truly saved, he's going to complete that work. It's going to be done. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. We are on our way to glory encouraged but that should motivate us to to be like him now and notice why he has the confidence as we'll finish up look at verse 7 back in chapter 1 of philippians for it is only right for me to feel this way about you because i have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me he says literally just as it is only right to think of you think to think not feel but to think this on behalf of you. It's not a feeling he has. They translate it feeling. But it's only right to me to think this. That's the word. Now certainly feelings can come from our thoughts. But he's not saying I've got the warm fuzzies about you. So you're going to be make it to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's saying it's only right for me to think this. Because something of what I see. Because I have you in my heart. And he says with the following. Since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers of grace with me since my imprisonment and then obviously that's for the gospel and his defense he had to lay a defense for the gospel right and the term confirmation speaks of legal verification of the gospel he proved it's true he says you are all partakers of grace He's saying the way that you functioned in the midst of these things with me is an evidence you are co-sharers of the grace of God. You partake it with me. The term here is soon koinoneas speaks of co-sharing. He says you are all co-sharers of grace with me. Their loving actions in regard to Paul are another evidence that they have truly been saved and have partaken of the grace of God. You see, our actions do manifest who we really are. Faith does work. Look at James chapter 2. True faith, true saving faith will produce something in the life of a believer. And he's saying, I know God's going to complete this work in you. It's in my heart. I know you guys are saved. And how you have, from my imprisonment, defense, confirmation of the gospel, you are all co-sharers of God's grace. Are you a co-sharer of God's grace? Is it an evidence in your life? You co-sharer? Notice he says here he has a godly affection that, that comes from the Lord here because of this truth. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's going to explain, and he calls God to be his witness. This isn't flattery, it's the truth. God is my witness. How I long for you with the affection. The term affection speaks of bowels or internal organs, and it speaks of just an internal heart affection. He says, God is my witness that I have an affection or the affection of Christ Jesus for you. I really love you guys. It's from Christ. God is my witness. The Apostle Paul has observed the fruit in the Philippian church. And it relates to him in ministry. It relates to him in their defense of the gospel with him. He's observed the fruit. and He's confident that that good work which he observed in the beginning, that God will complete that good work. Now my question to you today is, if someone was looking at your life, would they be confident the good work began? And are you following the Lord? Is there evidence that that makes would make one confident that you truly know him, and thus that work will be completed? The Lord is gracious. If you truly come to faith in Jesus Christ, He has begun a good work in you. And brothers and sisters, he will complete it. He will complete it. We are on our way to glory. We are on our way to glory. And so as we fail, yes, we should have a a right attitude towards our failures and we need to confess them. But we need to stand up again, turn to the Lord, Follow and walk with him because we're on our way to glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this encouragement. I thank you for the testimony of the lives in this Philippian church that brought your your servant Paul joy and brought him to pray for them, to, to uh, yearn to see them, to have great affection for them. Lord, I thank you for your true work in them, which you will complete, Lord, and that you will complete in us. Father, I pray for anyone here who has not had your good work begin yet, that they would turn to your son Jesus and believe in him and be saved. And Father, for those of us who, in whom you have begun this good and wonderful, wonderful work, help us to be encouraged, that you will finish it you will finish it father we thank you for your graciousness and how you lead us through your son and by your son all the way to glory it's in his name we pray